Unfortunately, all good winning streaks must come to an end. And on Monday night, that is what happened to the Orioles. As Chris Taylor's grand slam propelled the Dodgers to a 6-4 win over the O's as their winning streak ends at eight games. But it wasn't all bad. Grayson Rodriguez returned to the big leagues and looked a lot better than he did before. We'll recap it all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Tuesday, July 18th, 2023, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are going to recap the Orioles' first loss in a long while as they fell 6-4 to to the Los Angeles Dodgers to end their winning streak. The five things you need to know from that one, including the big blow from Chris Taylor, a nice outing for Nick Vespi, and Ryan Mountcastle picking up a couple of hits. Plus, we'll talk about Grayson Rodriguez and his return to the big leagues on Monday night. Why he still wasn't perfect, but... He looked a lot better than he had his first time around in the big leagues. Finally, we'll finish things off with a little Orioles news and notes as well. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by Sleeper. Swing for the fences on Sleeper picks, and you could win up to 100 times your money. Download the Sleeper app and use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details, currently operational in over 30 states. Check out Sleeper today. So we'll start this one with an Orioles loss. It's It's been a while since we said that. You got to go back two weeks, basically, to the second game of that Yankee series to talk about an Orioles loss. They had won eight games in a row with the All-Star break in between. That is a long time without seeing your favorite baseball team lose a game but it did happen on Monday. The losing streak, or the winning streak, I should say, ends at 8. The Orioles fall to the Dodgers 6-4 to in Game 1 of a three-game series. O's with the loss, dropping to 57-36 and on the year. As I am recording right now, Tampa Bay and Texas are tied 2-2 to in the bottom of the ninth. So hopefully the Rangers can pull that one out and walk it off and keep the O's just one game back. Of the Rays, of course, if the Rays were to win that game, Orioles would be two games back of Tampa Bay. But I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' 6-4 to loss to the Dodgers. And the first thing you need to know is Grayson Rodriguez came back and he looked better. Now, I'm going to dive much further into Rodriguez's start a little later here on this episode. But here's the nitty-gritty. Five-plus innings, four runs on seven hits, four Ks, two walks, no homers, 91 pitches, thrown by Grayson Rodriguez. He gives up eight hard hit balls in five plus innings, pitches into the sixth for the second time this season. Brian Baker didn't help him out. That's why he ended up with four earned runs. Could have easily just been two. Stuff was better. Command was better. Confidence was better. And we'll break it down more a little later. But as I mentioned, the second thing you need to know from this one is Brian Baker made Grayson Rodriguez's night look a lot worse. And Brian Baker took the loss in this game. That was... The key moment, the big swing in this ballgame. Grayson Rodriguez had come out for the top of the sixth inning. He was at about 80 pitches. It was the right move. The Orioles were leading 4-1. to one. 
And it didn't start out well for Rodriguez. He allowed a leadoff triple that, yes, it was a ball Aaron Hicks could have caught in center field. It hit off his glove. But that was a crazy difficult play in center. I mean, Freeman deserved the triple right there. Then Will Smith with an RBI single makes it 4-2. Then he ends up walking Max Muncy, and the day is done. So in comes Brian Baker. He gets J.D. Martinez to fly out. He gets David Peralta to fly out. And all of a sudden, he's 0-2 on Jason Hayward with first and third and two down with a 4-2 lead. He is right there, almost out of the inning. He just misses with a couple of fastballs. And then a changeup and a slider that just weren't close enough to the zone ends up losing Hayward, walks the bases loaded. And then he goes 0-2 to Chris Taylor, who, you know, you could argue maybe, maybe not a better matchup than Hayward. Baker has actually been better against lefties this year than righties. And he goes 0-2 to Taylor, and you could tell Taylor was in swing mode. Brad Brock and Ben McDonald were talking about it on the broadcast, you know, just get him to chase one. And they were talking about how they wanted to see Baker throw the fastball high, and he threw one at the top of the zone. Taylor fouled it back, and they kept saying, just throw it higher. And I think that was the right pitch. I think him and Adley were on the right page. Baker just once again could not get that fastball up high enough, threw it at the top of the zone, and Taylor was on top of it. This is a guy who doesn't hit a lot, but when he does, he basically only gets extra base hits, and that is what Taylor did. A grand slam into the Orioles bullpen that completely flipped this game, ended up being the game-winning swing in that sixth inning off the bat of Taylor, 104.3, 416 feet to left center field, just clearing the wall for a grand slam to put the Dodgers up six to four. And that was the difference. And yeah, it was a tough spot. And I get you know, the people arguing for Baker to throw the slider or the changeup or throw something in the dirt. Oh, and two, I get it. But Baker doesn't really throw his changeup to righties. So that's kind of out of the question. So it's either fastball slider and Baker had thrown a slider. Oh, and one to Taylor. He threw it out of the zone and Taylor was right on it. He fouled it straight back into the screen. And Baker, I think was feeling good about his command of his fastball. The velo was up on that pitch on Monday night. I think he felt the best about his fastball, which is perfectly fine. You just got to execute the pitch better. I think the plan was perfect. They tried to get the fastball up, and you can't miss twice in a row. That's what he did. He kept it in the zone, and Chris Taylor, a veteran hitter, made him pay. Sometimes, and this is what a lot of people have to understand about baseball, the plan is good and the execution is bad. It happens all the time in a game of inches like baseball, and, and that's just what happened to the Orioles and what happened to Brian Baker. And honestly, that's not even usually a pitch right there, that fastball up and away from a righty, that Chris Taylor is able to drive a lot. If you look at his hot and cold zones on his Baseball Savant page, the up and away section of the zone to Chris Taylor is the zone where he swings and misses more than anywhere else in terms of pitch location. 54% whiff rate on pitches in that up and away quadrant, that's where Baker threw it. And this time, Taylor got to it. It was a good plan. The execution wasn't great, wasn't terrible. Chris Taylor just made a great swing on a great Dodger team. Sometimes you got to hand it to him. And, you know, it is what it is. And I saw a lot of hate for Brian Baker as well. Baker hadn't allowed a run in July yet. He was coming off five straight scoreless appearances, seven out of eight scoreless appearances, and 11 out of 13 scoreless appearances before getting tagged with the two earned runs and giving up the Grand Slam on Monday. Yes, the Orioles need better middle relief pitching. Yes, they need to go get at least one lockdown reliever at the deadline. But Brian Baker's not going to lose his spot when that happens. He's been too good this year. Just a bad outing. It happens from time to time. 
Third thing you need to know from this one is that the rest of the Oriole bullpen actually kept the O's in this game. Now, Mike Bauman came out there in the seventh and got a couple of outs, but really this is to shout out Nick Vespi, who did a great job of keeping the O's around. Now, their offense really didn't do much late in the game to start a rally. Had really two killer double plays, one that Colton Kowser hit into in the seventh after an Aaron Hicks leadoff single, and then one that Ramon Arias hit into in the ninth after a Colton Kowser leadoff walk kind of killed both those rallies. But Nick Vespi kept them in the game, hadn't pitched in eight days, and Vespi comes out there and goes two and a third scoreless, two hits, a strikeout, no walks on 29 pitches, did not allow a hard hit ball. I really do think that even if the O's go and get a legitimate reliever, Nick Vespi has a chance to stay in this pen for the rest of the year. Now, I don't know if he'll ever become a big-time high-leverage guy, but I have liked how he's looked so far. Now, he's always on thin ice because you know he only throws 90 miles an hour, it's hard to get guys out in the big leagues consistently like that. But for now, he's here to stay, especially with Dylan Tate, Austin Voth, Michael Givens, CNL Perez, all on the injured list. They're going to have to rely on Nick Vespi a little bit more over the next couple of weeks. Fourth thing you need to know from the Orioles' 6-4 to four loss as we switch it back to the offensive side. The top two in the lineup tried to make some noise in this one, get the O's a win in Gunnar Henderson and Adley Rutschman. Gunnar had just a blazing RBI triple in the second inning that put the O's up 3-0. He hit a ball to the right field corner that Jason Hayward actually cut off on the warning track before it hit the wall, and Gunner still slid in safely with an RBI triple. He was steaming around the bases, and then Adley hit his 13th homer. Solo shot in the fifth inning, just a sizzling line drive that he kind of just above the line off that mini railing on the flag court in right field. Again, Adley's 13th homer of the year that he just smoked out there 108 off the bat traveled 363 feet for the bomb and the O's thought that could have been enough unfortunately it wasn't but it was nice to see those two kind of set the table but the fifth and final thing you need to know from the loss is that the first run of the day for the Orioles came off the bat of Ryan Mountcastle and this for Mountcastle was his first multi-hit game since returning from the IL with Vertigo Mountcastle getting the start as the DH in Monday's game, as of course the Orioles were still without Cedric Mullins, so a little more flexibility to get Mountcastle out there. And he DHs, hits fifth, goes two for four with the RBI double he had in the first inning off of Dodger starter Emmett Sheehan. Also had an infield single later in the game. But you know what? Two hard hit balls for Mountcastle, swung it well. And the big thing is, he got those two hits. They both came or one of them came, I should say, off of a right-handed pitcher. He got the start against a righty, got a double off a righty. All good signs for Mountcastle as he tries to hold on to his roster spot here with the Orioles. But of course, there were some good things that happened, but it was an Orioles loss. Six to four, the winning streak ends at eight games. That still doesn't mean Grayson Rodriguez wasn't good, because I think he was. I think he took a lot of steps forward in his first start back again from AAA. So coming up next... Going to break down Grayson's first outing in the bigs for a while and talk about what was still a little bit of a struggle, what was better, and where the Orioles go with Grayson Rodriguez moving forward. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by Game Time. I am a person, I've talked about it on this pod, I'm a last minute ticket buyer, right? I'm planning on going to the game tonight, Orioles and Dodgers. Don't have my tickets yet. 
as I am recording now. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to Game Time here on Tuesday, and I know I'm going to get a great price because Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the events you want to go to, including the Orioles. And they've got killer deals on last-minute tickets, and they have a best price guarantee. Now, I always log on. The app is super easy. They got the Orioles right there on the homepage for me. They have these flash deals on last-minute tickets. The price goes down even lower before the game, and you can get a great deal You get the ticket on your phone, and here's the best part. It goes right to your phone within seconds. You don't have to wait for it. You could buy the ticket on game time as you're standing right outside Utah Street. goes right to your phone. You scan it and go into the ballpark. That's how easy it is on game time. So snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off. Download game time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. So the Orioles fall to the Dodgers 6-4 on Monday night, snapping their eight-game winning streak. But it wasn't all bad for the Orioles in the loss. Yes, it, it was kind of a crushing loss, right? I mean, Brian Baker gives up that grand slam. It, it's hard to, to stomach that one. Right, I mean, they had the lead. They had a 4-1 lead going into the sixth. And it makes you think more and more this team needs some better relievers. And they do. Now, I will say, the Texas Rangers helping the O's swallow this loss a little bit better as they walked off the Rays on a walk-off wild pitch in the bottom of the ninth on Monday. So, the Orioles remain just one game back of Tampa heading into play on Tuesday. But still, it was a tough loss. But again, not all bad because... Grayson Rodriguez returned to the mound for the Orioles. It was reported, actually put out by the O's before Sunday's game that Grayson would return to pitch on Monday, and he did just that. Now, his final line I talked about already, five-plus innings, four runs, seven hits, four Ks, two walks, no homers, 91 pitches, and eight hard-hit balls for Grayson Rodriguez. Now, the first thing to say is he probably deserved a better line than that. He got through five, was looking good, came back out for the sixth, the four-to-one lead, only the second time all year in the big leagues that he had pitched into the sixth inning, and it just didn't go well. The triple, the RBI single, the walk, he comes out of the game, and as I talked about already, Brian Baker, so close to getting him out of it, and instead allows the grand slam and two more earned runs go on Grayson's line. Now, he could have pitched better in that sixth inning, right, and could have gotten him out of it, or at least put Baker in a little better spot. But I still like the positive moves forward from Grayson Rodriguez. He looked much better. He had just kind of a different fire about him, especially in those first couple of innings. He was more confident in the off speeds. The command was way better. I mean, at one point during the game, from like the third to fifth inning, Grayson Rodriguez threw a first pitch strike to 11 consecutive hitters. That is what Grayson wasn't doing enough of his first time around in the bigs. He was getting behind guys. He was falling to the fastball, and he was throwing it down the middle, and he was giving up a lot of extra base hits, including homers. Now, one thing that is still a little concerning, he was definitely more confident in the off-speeds, but it was mostly the changeup. Now, on one end, that is his best off-speed pitch, so it's good to see him go to that pitch. He threw 30 change-ups in this start, 30 out of 91, basically one-third change-ups. He was only throwing about 21% change-ups in his first go-around in the big leagues. That's good. That's his go-to off-speed pitch. He got five whiffs on that one out of his 10 whiffs total. That was the most of any pitch. He was throwing it in the zone, out of the zone, getting some foul balls. He he tied Mookie Betts up in knots with one of his changeups. It really looked good for Grayson on Monday night. However, he still threw 45 fastballs. 
Basically, half of his pitches were four-seamers, 49%. That's actually more than he was throwing the fastball beforehand. I mean, he was throwing it 45% of the time before. So when you add that in, you know, he only threw eight sliders, seven curveballs, and one cutter. So he was relying on his off-speeds more. He was going to them in different counts. He was throwing a lot of first-pitch off-speeds. I even say when he ended up walking Will Smith, I believe it was in the third or fourth inning of this game, he walked Will Smith on a 3-2 pitch, and he threw a 3-2 slider, and it missed off the plate. He ended up walking him, but I thought that's a different Grayson because when he would get in any situation where he vaguely needed a strike his first time around in the bigs, it was fastball, fastball, fastball. Every single time, guys would sit on it, and when he would miss with that fastball, despite the velocity, it usually left the yard. That did not happen in this game, he was not afraid to go with the slider and especially wasn't afraid to go with the changeup a lot of the times. And that was one of the big differences. Now, the other nice thing was velocity was up pretty much across the board. His fastball averaged 98. He was at, you know, high 96s his first time around through one at 101. His changeup velo was up. His slider velo was way up. That average 81 his first time around. He was 83.4 in this game, maxing out at 85. So maybe a little more adrenaline, you know, getting back to the big leagues. But I like that the velo was up as well for Grayson Rodriguez, and he still commanded his pitches. I just liked what I saw. It wasn't perfect, right? There was still some hard contact, certainly, with the eight hard hit balls. There were still a couple of walks, and he still just kind of ran out of gas, it seemed, in that sixth inning, and it set up the big five-run six that allowed the Dodgers to win the game. It's plain and simple right there for Grayson Rodriguez. But big positives, more change-ups, more strikes in general, better command of the fastball, even though he threw it a lot. And I will say the other thing is, as I mentioned already, 91 pitches, one cutter. What pitch was probably his worst in his big league starts before he got demoted? His cutter, guys were hitting 333 against it. Goes away from the cutter? Not all bad. Threw it one time, missed for a ball, that was it. That was the only time he threw it. Don't hate that from Grayson Rodriguez to go away from that cutter. And, and listen, it was this, you know, 7-3 ERA in the majors the first time around. He goes back to AAA, has a 1-6-9 ERA in seven AAA starts with crazy strikeout numbers. Like, he is... Grayson Rodriguez, he clearly worked on the things they wanted him to work on. And he still clearly has more to work on. But I liked what I saw. The big thing I was so worried about was that he would just throw one bad breaking ball or one bad changeup his last time in the bigs. And he'd just say, all right, I'm done with that pitch for this at bat. That didn't happen this time. He'd throw a bad one, he would go back to it, go back to it, throw it on the first pitch, throw it three and two. He had the confidence to go to the off speed, especially the change. And that is a good step forward for Grayson Rodriguez. Could he be better? Of course he could. But I feel confident with him the next time around, which is going to be in a huge series at the Trop against the Rays this weekend. The next time he pitches, I feel confident with Grayson Rodriguez in that spot. We got a couple more Orioles news and notes items to get to, including what the full roster move was to get Grayson Rodriguez back into the big leagues and some draft picks signing as well for the O's on Monday. Get to that coming up next. So yes, the Orioles winning streak is over at eight games with a six to four loss to the Dodgers, but no better time than today 
to start a brand new winning streak. Again, they're still just a game back with the Rays' loss to the Rangers. And game two of three between the Dodgers and the Orioles is tonight, 7.05 p.m. Eastern Time. I will be in the ballpark for this one as well, my ninth game of the season, so come say hi if you would like to. But Tyler Wells takes the hill for the Orioles. A little bit of an extended break for Wells. They had him go fifth coming out of the All-Star break, mostly because you know he's about to cross over his innings from last year, which was his career high. So I think they're a little concerned about innings, but the last time he did pitch in Minnesota on Friday, six innings, two runs. You can basically bank on him throwing six innings, two runs. That's been each of his last three starts, I bet, and I hope he does it again against the Dodgers coming up tonight. And he will go up against the rookie right-hander Michael Grove, who certainly had an up-and-down season, but Grove in 47 innings does have a 6.89 ERA on the season. Last time out, gave up four runs on six hits over six innings against the Angels. Grove has basically gone back and forth with solid start, bad start, kind of looking like Grayson Rodriguez looked his first time around. He's got some really good stuff. He's a 26-year-old righty, Dodgers second-round pick back in 2018. But the O's have a good chance to jump on him and even up the series tonight. And you can catch every pitch of the Orioles' hometown radio broadcast of tonight's game between the Dodgers and the O's with the SXM app through SiriusXM. Just download the app and search Orioles. So a few more Orioles news and notes to finish off the pod here. Let's start with the Grayson Rodriguez addition and roster move because he was in AAA. Now, he was already on the 40-man roster, so they didn't have to make a 40-man move, but they had to make a move. And I talked about it a bit on Monday's episode, what I thought they would do. And I'm not going to pat myself on the back because it wasn't like the craziest prediction of all time, but I did get it right. It was Eduard Bizzardo who was sent down to AAA. The Orioles remain with a shorter bullpen. You know, They're going with 14 hitters and 12 pitchers, so a seven-man bullpen. So far, so good. I don't think that really had much to do with Brian Baker not having a good outing on Monday night. But Pizarro went down. Three appearances in the big leagues. Kind of all were in mostly mop-up duty. Two and a third innings, four runs, six hits, a strikeout, no walks. He was obviously not very good when he entered the ninth inning on Sunday with the O's up 5-0. It was kind of the catalyst of allowing the Marlins right back into that game for what ended up luckily being a 5-4 Orioles win. I think Pizarro could be back. The O's like his stuff. They just want to get a little more seasoning in AAA for him. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, how much longer the Orioles are going to carry the 14 hitters and the 12 pitchers. I think they'd like to do it until at least Cedric Mullins is ready to come back. Cedric hasn't been placed on the IL. Obviously, he didn't play Monday, but what that tells me is he's not going to go on the IL, and it's going to be more of a four or five day injury, and then he's going to be back. So I think they'd like to carry the 14 hitters until he's back, because really, he's on the bench, but He's not available, so you still have 13 hitters generally. But once he's healthy, I'd have to think the O's will go with another pitcher. Mountcastle's the easiest because he's optionable. I mean, maybe if Kowser's still really struggling, they could send him down. I mean, if you're looking at a DFA candidate, I mean, possibly Ramon Arias even, just with, you know, his inconsistency and and the glove not the level it was at last year. Either way, they're going with 14 hitters and 12 pitchers still, at least for now. And one good thing was Aaron Hicks did return to the lineup on Monday. He was scratched with some lower back tightness on Sunday, but he was back in there on Monday, had a base hit, made one nice catch, almost two nice catches, couldn't quite get it done in that sixth inning. But good to have him back there so you can play him as more of a true center fielder out there with Cedric Mullins still injured. And then kind of the other guy in terms of big league stuff, this was from a couple days ago, but CNL Perez, who's been out for, you know, about a, a week or more with some elbow issues, 
Threw an inning and two-thirds scoreless over the weekend in Bowie on rehab. If they can get him back, he was just pitching super well before the injury finally this year. I think that would really help the bullpen and give them a little spark if they can get Perez back pretty soon because Michael Givens still hasn't really ramped up. Austin Voth still hasn't really ramped up again, and the Orioles have shut down Dylan Tate for now. So Perez would certainly be a help in that bullpen. But the last thing in terms of Orioles news and notes Top two draft picks were signed by the Orioles on Monday. Enrique Bradfield Jr., the Orioles' first-round pick, 17th overall, and Mac Horvath out of North Carolina, their second-round pick, 53rd overall. Both were in Baltimore on Monday, and both ended up taking their physicals and then signing their contracts on Monday as well, officially our Baltimore Orioles. Enrique Bradfield Jr. signs for just under $4.17 million. He signed for the exact slot value of the 17th pick, so the O's didn't go over slot or underslot with Bradfield. With Horvath, they did cut a little bit of money off. They saved a little bit with Mac Horvath. His slot value was $1.58 million. They signed him for $1.4 million, so saved about $180,000 that they probably allocated a little bit later in the draft. Bradfield, as I talked about, you know, super speedy, high contact, low strikeout, defensive elite center fielder who hits from the left side. Doesn't have great power numbers. Offense went a little bit down at Vanderbilt this year, but the O's feel they can unlock something in that bat. Really, really high floor type of player who could have a really high ceiling if they unlock something. And then Matt Horvath, right-handed hitting, kind of hybrid defender, can play short, third, right field, center field, left field, can kind of move all around the diamond for you. Also a big power hitter. Also has good speed, 20-plus homers, 20-plus doubles, 20-plus stolen bases at UNC this past season. And nice to see the two of them get signed. And it also looks like the Orioles' 20th round pick in Jalen Vasquez, the shortstop they drafted out of D2 North Greenville University, has also signed because North Greenville University baseball put out a tweet on Monday with a picture of Vasquez's Orioles locker and basically saying good luck. So that tells me that most likely... He has probably signed as well. So we're looking at three of the 22 draft picks so far, it looks like, have signed for the Orioles. But that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Listen, I know the winning streak didn't get to nine, but we still got all things Orioles covered right here. And you know what? Great chance, again, to start a new winning streak tonight, Orioles and Dodgers. And I will be back tomorrow on the pod recapping game two between these two squads. And We'll start talking a little bit more about, you know, some draft pick signings that may come out and then the trade deadline because it's creeping up on us, right? We're about two weeks away from the deadline. What can the O's do? We'll continue to talk about that throughout the week, including on tomorrow's episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.